I try to always be a glass half full person. Doesn't work all the time, but I find that just that positive mindset always changes the results. Always. Really important to have that positive mindset. I love that book, Superior Attractor, uh, where she talks about manifesting your own energy, bringing out things that are going to make your life better just by thinking about it. And, and I really do believe that. Welcome to Making the Change, Optimize Your Health and Mind, where we explore the latest research and expert insights on how to take charge of your health and happiness. I'm Dr. Dave. I'm a board-certified physician and an integrative medicine expert. So join me as we learn how to thrive physically, mentally, and emotionally in the next phase of our lives. So let's go dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Dave, and uh, here is my guest co-host, Sarah. We work together, as uh, you guys have known, if you've been following us. And we've done a couple of podcasts together already. First one, we spoke about some habits. And the second one, we spoke about discipline. You know, I really think that it's very important to understand where we come from. Understand the experiences that have really shaped us to where we are. So we know how to make the changes necessary to get to the place we want to be, right? Podcast is all about making these changes. How important are these little steps that we go through to develop the new person that we're going to be? So we've all been through some trials, struggles, challenges, however you want to call it. Sometimes you're able to overcome them. Sometimes you're not. And a lot of times the people that we see on the street that are struggling with their lives, uh, a little bit crazy, a little bit drunk, a little bit high, but it's because they weren't able to deal with their struggles in their life something has happened that they just didn't have that ability to overcome. Maybe it's because they didn't meet me, that we weren't able to inspire them to get them out of their little rut. Sometimes it might be a psychological problem um, that we can't handle with simple love, right? Right. So why don't you tell me, Sarah, I mean, I I met you uh, at a restaurant from a mutual friend and it was just a normal conversation. And then I got a phone call few days after that about you looking for another job. And I couldn't wait to hire you. Love your energy. And I love your desire to work and that you are goal oriented. Um, So why don't you tell me, and you don't have to go too far in depth about it, but just give me a, a maybe a couple of struggles or challenges that you've had that you think have really helped to shape who you are today. Sure. Um, I think that some of the struggles I've had have happened to me later on in life. You know, I've I've gone through a few things with um, an illness, and then also um, me and the kids were in a fire. So I think I didn't even know that. Yeah, I think that all of these things molded me to be the person I am now. Just having lost, you know, all our personal belongings and starting over. It's funny because you have to be careful what you pray for. Uh, Because I was praying at the time to help me kind of move past my, uh, you know, divorce and relationship. And um, God works in funny ways. So he got um, everything for he cleaned the house. (laughs) I started completely with a completely fresh slate. So um, that really helped kind of, you know, that was uh, that was a moment for me. And then also, you know, having um, gone through an illness. Kind of. Let's talk a little little bit about the illness. Right. If you don't mind. Right. So. Um, you've been diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Yes. 
And for some people, it can be very debilitating. You need to eat healthy. You need to eat the right foods. You need to eat things that don't cause you problems. Um, you need to know all the possible stimuli that can cause you issues because a lot of times you're not around the bathroom. So if you have some stomach issues, you just don't feel well for a prolonged period of time. So Crohn's disease is one of the irritable bowel diseases. And for some people, it can be pretty serious and you could need surgery. And so have you ever had surgery from Crohn's disease? I have. Um, I've had a couple of surgeries um, just to help with the um parts of my intestine that had become inflamed and scarred. So they actually went in and removed those um, to kind of help control the illness. So, yeah. And but when they had that surgery, they were able to reconnect your intestines and... Yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, they reconnected them. Um, and now I have to kind of be careful with my diet, you know, take certain precautions, not to eat raw, like any kind of raw vegetables, um, things like that. Well, I'm sure at the time that this all happened, right, you didn't know um, how this would impact the rest of your life. It's kind of an emergent situation, right? When you find out you have these problems that come this disease uh, and sometimes you need emergent surgery or sometimes you can schedule it. Uh, and you also had a, a personal experience with uh, your son having a problem. He also has Crohn's disease, right? Yeah, he also has Crohn's disease as well. So he required, uh, he's actually had two surgeries already. So, so, and then he's going to respond probably similar to you, that it's going to help him to change his diet, change the way he lives and really impact him in, in a different way. You know, I, and what, so those are the two major things that you would say about any little like minor struggles that might've changed you a little bit, like maybe just changed your mind or maybe changed some minor decisions that you might've made in your life. Um, yeah, I think definitely like coming to work with you was, um, uh, was a really positive change. You know, that night that we met, um, I really loved um, your positive energy and, um, you know, um, you definitely inspired me. Um, so that was, that was a nice change. I remember calling you and being excited to come on board and, and, you know, start that new opportunity. So. Well, thank uh, you. I, I definitely appreciate that. So when it comes to challenges, um, everybody's been through them. Uh, some are bigger than others. Um, and I've had so many, and I'm very proud of my past because it's made me who I am today. One of the first things I remember in my life that really has impacted me probably the most was when I was playing as a child, we were playing in, uh, you know, those, uh, refrigerator boxes, but you get a brand new refrigerator, that huge box and you play house in it. So I was playing by myself in the box and the bullies in the neighborhood came and they collapsed the box on me and did not oh let me out. Oh my goodness. Now at that time, obviously I'm just hoping for air. And then they finally let me out after my parents came and flipped out and chased everybody away like a movie. Like you see all the ma mice running away. That's what it was like, oh, everybody scattered. My mom was pretty scary, but it was so traumatic for me. As a result, I, I became claustrophobic. I didn't have a lot of neighborhood friends after that. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um. Well, I, I fixed it later when I got a little bit older and bigger and I found them individually, but that's a story for another day. But it definitely impacted me. It made me fearful when I used to not be fearful. It's impacted me, you know, I have trouble on planes and on trains. I just don't like those confined situations. And also my biggest problem is MRIs. I, I can't go in MRIs because they, the machine literally is resting on my chest as I'm in there. So it's not, not a comfortable situation. But it, it 
definitely has forced me to look at my insecurities a little bit differently and try to overcome them. It's pretty difficult to tell you claustrophobia is not easy thing to do to get over, but I think I'm getting there. I might have to take some medication if I need an MRI, but hopefully I don't need to have too many MRIs. So that was one thing that really impacted me. There were some other things that have happened in my life, good or bad. I have a couple of good ones. You know, when I was 27, I, I had a daughter, was not expected, but she's one of the biggest blessings I have in my life. She's probably the most intelligent uh, woman I ever met. And now our relationship is so amazing. I and mean, she's 24 years old. And the other night I went out to dinner with some friends and we got out at around 1030. And uh, my daughter and myself were on the phone till I think around two o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just changed our relationship and, and we're so close now. We weren't close when she was younger. Uh, but she was a kid and, and I wasn't close by and the older she got, the easier it got to have these type of conversations. And now it's just, uh, amazing. Another experience that has really changed my life right now. I'm, I'm a father, I had a daughter, it was out of wedlock. So it brought a lot of challenges to me. I was in graduate school at the time. It forced me to change a lot of things that I needed to do. And because things were so rough in the beginning, I decided to go to medical school all the way in Chicago from New York. I was in Long Island at the time. Um, so I had to pick up and move. So it, it really impacted me. And then I wasn't able to have a relationship with my daughter. That impacted me for a long time. Obviously, she's a child. And, and at that time, cell phones were not like today. You had to call people on the house. So, you know, it was not that cell phones weren't around. It just wasn't as convenient as it is today. So that definitely impacted me. Uh, before that, there was, um, I used to play semi-pro football and um, I loved it. I, it was my opportunity to maybe get into the NFL. I was a little bit small, uh, but I hit really hard and I tried to get into college. One of the big colleges that we all see on TV, it's called Division One and I sent out my recruitment letters and my tapes and nobody bit, nobody took me. Um, you know, you always hope for that scholarship where you can get your medical education paid for. And they were like, well, you can walk on, which means no scholarship. We need you to change your position and then you could try out for the team. And if you make it, the next year we'll offer you a scholarship, which they never offer you a scholarship. So I got that offer from plenty of schools. And basically they want you to be a practice dummy. <laughs> so the good players can hit you all day and not have to worry about hit, injuring anybody on their team. So that was pretty impactful for me that I, I was not able to get to one of the college that I want to be. So I played semi-professional football and I played for seven years. You know, that's um, a long time to do something. Anything for seven years is a long time. And I loved it. And I was always hoping that that was going to give me an opportunity you know, to get to the NFL. And at that time, the NFL had a subsidiary or a league that they owned in Europe. It was called NFL Europe. I think later on it came the World Football League and had a tryout for the Barcelona football team. And I was so excited. And two weeks before my tryout, we had a game. We were actually playing against like a Russian national team. They came to America and they were playing different American semi-professional teams. So we played that game and there was... Uh, play coming to my side of the field and the defensive lineman that was in front of me got pushed backwards. And when I went to run to the left, he was running and got knocked over and was rolling and he rolled right into my knee. Um, and I had a severe medial collateral ligament tear 
and the strain on the ligaments, the ACL and the MCL, medial collateral and anterior collateral ligaments of my knee. Um, and as a result, I couldn't play football. That ended my tryout two weeks later. But if that never happened, I wouldn't have went to med school and I wouldn't have made the changes of where I am today. So, you know, there's always a reason. There's always something to look at when something bad happens and try to find the positive out of it. You know, I was talking to someone last night and we were talking about the glass half full, glass half empty, how we use that, right? I try to always be a glass half full person. Doesn't work all the time. But I find that just that positive mindset always changes the results. Always. Really important to have that positive mindset. Uh, I love that book, Superior Attractor, uh, where she talks about manifesting your own energy, bringing out things that are going to make your life better just by thinking about it. And, and I really do believe that. So those were just a couple of my struggles that I've been through. Another struggle that I have that really has changed me, uh, one was more recent that I'll get into later, uh, but this one was when I had my practice in Staten Island, I built a surgery center for cosmetic surgery. Uh, that was my, I did general surgery residency and then I did a cosmetic surgery fellowship. So I was all ready to do some breast implants and liposuction, Brazilian butt lips, which is fat transfer. After you suck it out, you put it back in and make it look nice. I was all excited to do that in my office. And um, I hired all these consultants to help me get the office certified and so we can get everything up and running. Well, I wasn't able to get the office certified because I wasn't able to get hospital privileges for cosmetic surgery because I was not a plastic surgeon. They don't recognize cosmetic surgery as a specialty in the hospital because most cosmetic surgeries are done by plastic surgeons. So plastic surgeons, when you're in a hospital, want to own that. They want to, and in order to give you hospital privileges, they have to be in the field that you're a specialist in. And mine was Although I did a, a fellowship in cosmetic surgery, I was a general surgeon. So they'd be more than willing to give me surgery privileges as a surgeon, but not as a cosmetic surgeon. So I said, no. Well, they said to me, if you can't do that, then we cannot offer you privileges. I said, okay, fine. I didn't think it was a big deal. But as I was trying to get certified, all these companies that would say, oh, let, we'll get you certified for sure. And there's different organizations that certify your office to do surgery in your office. So I hired several companies to help me, one at a time, obviously. Oh, yeah, we could definitely do it for you, doctor. And they could never get me to get what I needed, which was really a transfer letter from me to one of the other doctors that was in staff at the hospital. But I don't work in the hospital, so I couldn't get a friend that works in the hospital that's a surgeon to let me admit under his name. So I couldn't get those hospital privileges. And... It cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, man, I, I don't believe this. But you know what? If you do cosmetic surgery and you do it under tumescent liposuction, which is you just put numbing medication in some saline with some other stuff. That's the basic principle of it. But you're able to do surgery without anesthesia and patients don't feel it. So you could do liposuction that way. So I was like, fine, that's what I'm going to have to do. I have a procedure room instead of an operating room because I couldn't get it certified to be a operating room because I couldn't get these dumb office certifications. Mm -hmm. So then the other thing that happened in my life, so I hired this amazing manager to help me sell cosmetic surgery. 
So first I had a trainer because she was coming from the beauty industry and she used to run her own beauty salon. And then she started working for a esthetician school or a cosmetology school. And uh, so now she's also selling all the time, right? She's selling her programs. She's selling products. She's selling a lot of stuff. So she comes to me. I hire her to help me sell cosmetic surgery, close it basically. I sell it. She closes the same way we do things yeah. now. And I was very satisfied with her skills, very satisfied with the training. And after our first month of trying to book surgeries, we booked almost $300,000 in surgery in a month. Now my office manager worked on salary with a commission bonus. And so what happened was we booked all these surgeries and now I had my patients come back for their preoperative visit, right? Well, I hired my manager who happened to be Christian. And we had a lot of talks about the morality of cosmetic surgery. But then what happened was I was going through some rough emotional times and I instantly realized that I was missing something in my life. And my office manager happened to be Christian and she brought God into my life. I kind of had it before that, but this was it. So my whole mentality changed about surgery. I decided at that time it was important for me to treat the whole person, not just the outside, because patients would come back and not be happy. And I didn't like that. And so now my mental capacity has changed and I refuse to do cosmetic surgery on patients that weren't getting the surgery done for themselves. I had several patients come in that were getting pretty big surgeries, a Brazilian butt lift or a mommy makeover. These are pretty intensive surgeries. And I really did not like when they were trying to get a surgery for their boyfriend or their husband. And it wasn't because of something that they wanted, it was for somebody else. And then there was a lot of patients that had emotional scars and emotional issues for traumatic things that happened in their lives. And they thought the surgery was gonna make those things better. So after a week of my pre-op visits, my manager comes into my office pretty angry at me. Like Monday, and what I do? I didn't know what happened. She was so angry at me, and she goes, "You know, doctor, I get paid my salary, but I make a commission, which is why you hired me. I took a little bit less pay so I could make more money with commission." And I was very excited because I got my bonus for my first month, and we did almost three hundred thousand dollars in surgery. I was very happy. But then on Friday, I get my salary, and I have to give money back, and I'm like. What do you mean? She goes, well, I was paid on my commissions. And after looking at the bookkeeping, we sold $275,000 in four weeks and you canceled $175,000 in five days. So $175,000 of surgery I canceled. She was livid. She goes, I love you, but I can't work here. You know, I, I did not come here for this. And if you're not going to operate, I'm not going to make a bonus. So I can't work here. So it changed my whole mindset of what I wanted to do with my life. And then obviously more recently, as I'm going through some other things in my life and, and moving to Florida, my family being in New Jersey, trying to get to that next level, I started to realize that I needed to work on me. I could not continue to not improve myself after I kind of pulled myself away from my family. My whole purpose is to build a legacy for my family set. They don't have to work as hard as I'm working right now. I try to explain it to my son. My son's only 10 and I, 
They said to him, you know, daddy has to go to Florida because daddy has to build your legacy. So you don't have to work that hard, but all you'll have to do is nurture it, take care of it, and help it grow. So you're still going to have to work hard, but not as hard as daddy's working. So my son goes to school the next day and they're like, well, where's your father? You know, because I'm not there, right? And I used to coach him in football and coach him with wrestling. And so uh, he's at wrestling practice and everybody's parents come to pick up their kids and it's always his mom. So his friends are teasing them and like, so where's your father? And my son's like, he's really busy building my kingdom. That's awesome. So, I mean, although it's a a difficult time in my life, having a a 10-year-old start to understand that is important, really important to me. And it's made my decisions a lot easier. We talk every day. We do FaceTime. It's really helped. But it's definitely not an easy scenario for anybody to be separated from those that they love. So your struggles build you up. So what would you say out of everything that's happened to you? And and I know you've been through a lot and I've been through a lot. What would you say is that one thing that really forced you to make a change? What was your lowest point? What was the hit, shall we say? I think I've had a few low points, but, you know, I think that kids are really good motivation. So always, you know, trying to step up to be, you know, the parent that they need, you know, it's kind of pulled me out of those dark moments where I was struggling. You know, had I not had them, I don't know that I would have had that best outcome, but they have definitely been uh, my reason. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I think that I've had a few low moments in my life. I tell you, the one that's probably the most impactful to me was the loss of my father. We were always really close. When I was young, I was not always the most well-behaved child. So I would say, I do have a little bit of energy. And uh, when I was young, I had a little anger or problem. But my father loved me and would stick up for me. And when my mom would be yelling at me, he would stick up for me. And I went away for my fellowship. And uh, my father came to visit towards the end of my fellowship. So it start, my fellowship starts in July and it goes all, all the way up into the following June. Uh, so towards the end of my fellowship, my father and mother come to visit. And I had a conversation with my father. And he said, well, I don't want to worry you or anything, but uh, they found the mass in my colon and I have to have surgery. And now being a surgeon and a son, you know, I'm like, what do you mean to have a a mass that they have to have surgery on? Like, you know, to me as a doctor, I know there's a lot more that goes into that conversation. If it's cancer, is is there, uh, you know, some sort of rating system on that cancer, right? Because that's what they do. They categorize it so you know how bad it is. He didn't want to answer any of those questions. But the thing that was the hardest for me to handle was I was away from home doing my fellowship. And I felt that if I was home, I would have been able to see the symptoms and see the signs earlier. Because when my father came to see me, he was so skinny, started to look different. And I I know in my heart, I I could have seen it earlier. So that had a huge impact on me. And on top of that, so he had to go through a, a cauterization of one of his liver arteries which would help the other part of the liver grow larger because his colon cancer was metastasized to his liver. So he had to have chemotherapy, he had to have this other procedure done. Everything was going well. Lost a lot of weight, gained a lot of years with the chemo. But when, so he had to have this surgery, it was scheduled, wasn't emergent. But when he got out of the operating room, he wasn't waking up. His stomach was starting to grow in size, wasn't producing any urine. Now for someone that's not a physician, 
like yourself, you're just like, what's going on with my father? Being a surgeon where I know what all these things mean, just the fact that he's not making urine and his stomach was swollen and he wasn't waking up, I knew something very serious is going on. And this is called abdominal compartment syndrome. So you have all this extra blood or fluid floating around and your stomach or your abdominal compartment has a limited space to grow, a limited space to accept extra fluid. And this was fluid, it was blood. So when they sewed his intestines back together, there was a little blood leak. Now, that's an emergency in itself, right? Mm -hmm. The bigger emergency that he had was when you have surgery on your liver, because he had to cut out half his liver because it metastasized to the liver. So the other half, any time that you have surgery on your liver, your liver gets 70% or more of your blood supply. Think about that. Now, this abdominal compartment made his blood supply to his liver zero. Now, after you have surgery on your liver, you actually need more blood supply. So instead of him needing 75, 70%, he probably needed 90 after surgery. Temporarily, you know, your body will shunt it around where it needs it. So as a result of that, his liver never got enough blood when it needed it. So his liver basically went into liver failure. So he was struggling for 47 days in liver failure. But the character that my father had pushed through every single day walking further around the hospital. You know, they always want to make you walk and get you out as fast as possible. And he pushed himself so hard. We spoke hours every day. I never left the hospital for 47 days. Well, I went home once. I have to admit, that was it. I stayed there every day. I left once. I I came back and things were worse. I never left again. So I did trust, even though it was Sloan Kettering Hospital, but I was not happy with the situation. I almost got kicked out like three times because of what was going on. But those 47 days, the relationship between me and my father was probably the best it ever was in my life. We spoke about when he was a child. We spoke about when he got older as a teenager, when he was in his 20s, 30s. My father was 79 when he passed away. So we talked about everything. You know, my father was a musician. We spoke about all his songs, when his favorite songs were, the reasons why he wrote the songs, like things we never talked about. It was just such an amazing experience. And I loved it when I thought he was going to get better. Towards the end, I started listening to the doctors because he wasn't getting better. Even though he was pushing himself harder, he had to go for dialysis. And he had such a bad experiences with one of the techs at dialysis, he didn't want to have dialysis ever again. Okay. So I started to go with him to dialysis. I had to get special permission from the hospital to go there. And uh, I remember the surgeon came to speak to us. And he said, in order to see if we can turn your father's kidneys back on and and see if that'll help clear things for his liver. We need to do dialysis every day instead of they do it three days a week. We need to do it every day and see if we can turn his liver back on. And uh, because of the experience that my father had with this tech, he said, no, I don't want it. Now, don't get me wrong. He might not have been able to survive anyway, but he didn't want it because of that experience. And that picture, because I knew when the doctor said, well, if that's the case, then, you know, you know, you're going to die. My father's like, I don't want dialysis anymore. I don't want to do this. And it just so happened that day, my father made the most laps around the hospital that he's ever made beforehand. And he got this news and he was very comfortable with his decision. And you would think I would not be happy with that decision, but being a physician and knowing what the labs were doing and not getting better and seeing himself push himself. I was so worried that I was going to have to be the one to tell my father that he would have to give up. That was my biggest fear towards the end of my father's 
life. I mean, how selfish is that of me when he's sitting there struggling for his life and I'm just worried about telling him something? And and how selfish is that of me to have to tell my father you're going to die? He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I didn't want to make him lose his hope in that last day. I mean, I've seen people die in the operating room. I've seen people die in the hospitals, a trauma surgeon. I've seen people die on TV. But in front of you, somebody that you love, you see the last breath. So it's bittersweet because I'm able to be there and uh, nobody wants to die alone. And my mom couldn't emotionally take it because of her love for him. And uh, it was so rough. And I still have nightmares about that, watching that. The thing that sticks out to me most is those 47 days of amazing conversations. I got to meet some of the people he played music with since his childhood. A whole part of his life that I, I was exposed to only in short terms. Now I got to meet everybody because I was there all the time. One of his friends wrote a book about him because they just thought it was a story that had to be told. My father was one of the innovators of a type of music called chiranga. It's like uh, salsa music, the main instruments like the flute. Beautiful sounding music, and he was one of the innovators of this type of music. So I got to meet some of his mentors. There was a guy that was like 97 years old or something. Couldn't hear a single thing, but he had an implant in his ear that had a wire going up to the top of his head that would be able to help him with the conduction of sound so he was able to hear music. Amazing. And he's the one that told the doctor how to make it. So I got to meet him and he got to tell me about when my father was 14 and 16 and when his first concert, how nervous my father was because my father didn't say he was nervous. It was amazing to see all of the people. And then after he passed away to see the respect that they had for him, they put an article out from one of the places, uh, the Havana nightclub in Manhattan and on the radio, AM radio, of course, uh, they played a whole day of his music in commemorative of him. So it was really amazing. But that really, really shook my life. That was 2013. And then uh, two years later, my parents were married for 49 years. That would have been their 50th anniversary that June. He passed away in September of that year. Uh, then my mother passed away the next year. And then how did that affect me? I was an orphan. I was not a spring chicken, but I felt so out of sorts, out of place in this world. Those were probably the, the most impactful things that have really made me who I am. Uh, my childhood has probably given me the, the desire for perseverance, or maybe my parents instilled that on me, or maybe it's just a gift that I have. But, you know, these circumstances that don't seem so good can always have a positive spin on them. Again, glass half full, glass half empty. So out of all these struggles that we've had in our lives, which one would you point to that has changed you the most? I think my health issues have definitely changed me the most because uh, it impacts me still to this day. Just changed, you know, um, my habits, keeps, uh, you know, I have to keep certain disciplines that I didn't have prior just so I stay healthy. So what about for you? Oof. <laughs> um, well, I'd say the most impactful change for me was uh, this move to Florida, that loneliness, that unknowing, that vulnerability of not knowing uh, what tomorrow holds. And uh, all I did was work on me. I started a men's group where we go and we talk about how to help each other through life struggles. So we do that every Tuesday night now. Um, I probably read 15 books in a month's time. A lot of them are self-help books. 
And I really started to work on me. And I think that's really what has made me change, even to today. It made me want to start the podcast. It made me want to change the medical practice. It made me want to make a bigger impact on the world. Why? Because something has been awoken in me that I feel that I can help more than one person at a time. And the whole purpose for this podcast is to help people get out of where they're at and make a difference in this. It's not just about conquering. It's about conquering everything and making lives for other people easier. So for myself, I really feel that that has been the biggest thing. And as a result of that, right, we changed our practice. We changed the way we do things. And the podcast, which has just been an amazing experience to interview some amazing people and see the differences that they're able to make in the world and help People have actionable steps that they can take on to make a difference. And then the other thing that happened was being able to create the TV show that we did. That me and Renee, I, I called Renee with this, at least I thought it was a good idea, about uh, this interview show called Breaking Bread. And she loved it. She said, oh my goodness, what a great idea. Let's go do it. So when she said, let's go do it, I figured, all right, you know, we'll get this done in a couple of months. We'll start working on getting a videographer and get the restaurants together. We got it all together in like six days. We had the filming done in six days. So a total of 12 days, we got a full season done of this TV show called Breaking Bread. And it is so amazing. It's all about, we, we thought it was going to be about the restaurants that we were going and the food, but it was all about the conversations. The conversations were so deep, so meaningful, so impactful, and they could really help a lot of people. And that's kind of where my life has changed. I am so driven and I am so passionate to help people and make a difference. And, I, and that's why I went into medicine in the first place. But just now having an outlet that I'm able to help more than one person at a time is just amazing for me. And, and I'm so excited. This new drive, this new passion that I have I'm sure you've seen it, a big change in me over the last uh, couple of months, right? So we spoke about today a lot, right? Um, we talked about what our stories are, some of the struggles that we've been through. I've talked about some of my victories. You spoke about some of yours. I guess the next thing to think about is the future, right? What does the future hold? You got to have a plan right, in order to get that goal. And I haven't even talked to you about that. Another beautiful thing about this podcast, in the next season, maybe I'll call it uh, Making the Change, Optimize Your Health and Mind, unscripted, because we don't talk about this stuff before the show, because I want it to be that way. I think it's really important. So what do you think? Is there something that you've done that has made you change and that you are now victorious and you want to make a difference somewhere else? Like what, what's your goal? What's your mission right now? What's your vision for yourself? Um, I know that I always feel best about myself when I'm helping others. So I think getting back to doing something to help others would definitely be the most impactful. So that's been a goal I've been working on. Well, and I think the benefit to that is everything that we're doing with our practice that you have been, you know, so important in, in, in helping us shape and how we get to the people that we're trying to get to. And, and, and I, I agree. I, I think that the more we give, the more pleasure we have in life. And I feel like the more you give, the more you're blessed. And I think it's really important to be able to learn how to forgive and get by these little things so you can move on not necessarily forget, but always forgive. And 
do things because you want to do them, not because you expect something back. And the most important thing I find is enjoy the journey. We have one life and you're going to live every day to its fullest, but you still have to enjoy it. Don't make every day miserable for yourself. So we talked about the stories, the struggles, the victories, but now I think it's time that we talk about what should anyone watching this podcast do? What actionable things can they do with this next phase, right? And, and, I, and I think it's very important to look at yourself, look inside yourself to make these changes. So the homework is number one, find your story, find something in your life that has changed you so much in a positive way will put you in the right direction. Go through all the things, all the big struggles in your life, write them down, and then make sure that you, with all of those struggles, look at the things and how they changed you in a positive way. And if you can't think of it, try and put it together because I'm sure something positive has happened. And then lastly would be the victory. How did all of this make you overcome? So I think one story, maybe three struggles, Every struggle should come with its own victory. I think that's a really good homework uh, for people to start working on to get themselves back on track and moving in the right direction and not just living, but overcoming. So again, this is Dr. Dave, my co-host, Sarah. We appreciate you. Please like us and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Change, Optimize Your Health and Mind. We hope you found the information and insights we shared to be helpful and inspiring. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or family member who would also benefit. We believe that the more people that have access to this information, the better equipped they will be to thrive in the next chapter of their lives. Don't forget to subscribe and follow the show so you'll never miss a single episode. We'll be back next week with more expert insights and actionable tips to help you optimize every aspect of your life. Until then, take care and remember to always prioritize your health and well-being.